Good morning again. I, um, this past week, I was in Zoom meetings every day from 8 to 5, like a Zoom training for addiction and trauma counseling. And so it was a long week, and my, my eyes are kind of fried, my brain is fried, my heart is fried. It's been a long week. Um, and in, 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 that, in that session, there's about 50 of us that are aspiring to be counselors. And one thing we talked about in, in that session was this thing we call it's Plechik's Will of Emotion. I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the, the emotion will, but most of us, on average, if you ask us how many emotions can we identify in our own lives, the average is around three. We can tell people when we're happy, when we're angry, or when we're sad. And so Plechik's will of emotions is this, is this, uh, this graph that has about, I don't know, 80 different emotions. And you might need a telescope to read it. It's pretty small print. Um, but it gives us so many different expressions of emotion, and that can be really helpful um, it might be helpful to know that you're not just feeling sad, but you're feeling disappointed, or you're feeling discouraged, or maybe you're feeling despair, because uh, there's, there's different nuances and different language for the emotions that we might be feeling. And there's this belief that emotional literacy, being more in tune and being able to give names to our emotions, allows us to, to better notice, uh, to better understand and, and name and kind of heal from our emotions. And, and I saw this, this kind of funny meme poster that said, um, emotions are kind of like, like, like the ocean. Um, that they come in waves and you can't control the waves that are coming, but you can choose which ones you want to surf. Um, and so the emotion wheel gives us uh, a lot of different language to understand how we're feeling. And as this group of counselors kind of um, talked about the emotion wheel and kind of understanding how we feel in, in different times in our life, we came up and we, 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 we discovered this Christian version of the emotion wheel. And it looks kind of like this. Now, you can't read that, but every emotion here just says, fine, thanks. So how are you feeling, no matter what you're feeling? Fine, thanks. This is the Christian emotion will, because there's this pressure sometimes, I think, with us uh, that no matter what's going on in our lives, in our families, in our work, in our inner life, uh, that when we come to church or we're around other Christians, we gotta, gotta put on a front, and no matter what's going on, we say, fine, thanks. And I've kind of learned in the South, there's like a scale of this, too, right? There's like, and when someone says, if I say, hey, how are you doing? And someone says, I'm okay. In the South, that's code for things are going awful, Right? There's a, there's a scale there, because you just say, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. It's, it's like tone of voice, right? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, right? The, the, fine, thanks. The Christian motion will is fine, thanks, because we have a hard time admitting to others that we might not be doing great. And sometimes we have a, a problem even admitting to ourselves that we're not doing great. So everything is just fine, thanks. And this morning, I'm going to talk about sloth. And I would just say that the essence of sloth is fine, thanks. I'm doing fine, thanks. Sloth is refusing to pay attention to your life. Now, a lot of us, when we think of sloth, we think of the cute furry animal that can't move very fast, and we have to kind of help carry it across the road. It hangs in trees and doesn't do much all day. When we think of sloth, we think of laziness. But sloth is a little bit different than that. It's a little more insidious than that, and it's just more comprehensive. Sloth is when we refuse to pay attention to our lives. 
Now, in February, I gave a kind of a series of sermons uh, about the seven deadly sins. So this sermon this morning is kind of picking up from that. And just as a refresher or reminder, the seven deadly sins come from Evagrius Ponticus, who was an early church father, a desert monk. People came to him for wisdom, and he developed the seven deadly sins. He said these seven sins are kind of the core sins that exist in our lives and in our inner life from which every other sin uh, expresses itself. And so the seven deadly sins are pride, envy, wrath, sloth, lust, gluttony, greed. These are the foundational sins that kind of exist inside of us that every other sin kind of spins from. So this morning as we talk about sloth, it's important to understand that sloth is a foundational sin which a lot of other sins kind of stem from. And sloth is refusing to pay attention to your life. Now, when we think about sloth, we may think about laziness, but it's not always that or not even often that. Sometimes sloth could look like busyness. It's tricky. And I want, I want to read this, this quote from the author and theologian Frederick Buechner that I think is beautiful and really kind of captures the essence of sloth. Sloth is not to be confused with laziness. Lazy people, people who sit around and watch the grass grow, may be people at peace. Their sun-drenched, bumblebee-dreaming may be the prelude to action or itself an act well worth the acting. Slothful people, on the other hand, may be very busy people. They are people who go through the motions, who fly on automatic pilot. Like somebody with a bad head cold, they have mostly lost their sense of taste and smell. They know something's wrong with them, but not wrong enough to do anything about. Other people come and go, but through glazed eyes they hardly notice them. They are letting things run their course. They are getting through their lives. I love this image, this word image that, that Buchner gives us, that sloth is like somebody with a bad head cold, that you're just kind of going through life hazy, kind of dazed. I was telling my wife this quote, we have four daughters, 10 and under. She's like, that's also what parenting is like. Parenting is like going through life with a bad head cold where every, you're just so exhausted that everything's fuzzy and, and hazy. But sloth is like going through life with a bad head cold. You're just getting through your life. Now Solomon says in, in Proverbs that where there is no vision, the people wander. They go astray. And sloth is like that. A person that is, is struggling with sloth is someone that doesn't have a vision for their life, that doesn't have clarity or direction, and they just kind of wander through life, and they kind of waste away. They waste their time. Socrates says like this, an unexamined life is not worth living. So sloth is a refusal to pay attention to what's going on in your life. And when we don't pay attention, when we kind of intentionally ignore things, they get worse. They, they weaken. Our relationships may gradually grow apart over time. You may look at, at a married couple who, who gets a divorce after 30 years of marriage, and you say, what happened? and say, nothing. That's the problem, nothing. We just gradually grew apart. Nothing happened. So sloth, in that instance, would be in, in a lack of attention to the relationship. So a slothful life uh, leads to ruin because your relationships or your careers or your, your physical health or your mental health may just slowly deteriorate over time because of lack of attention to them. Sloth can do that for us. Now I want to give us uh, one example in Scripture of, of a slothful life. And that's the life of David. Now, when we look at David, he actually might not be the conventional target for sloth. 
because he was one of the, the world's most accomplished songwriters. We still sing his psalms today, thousands of years later. He was one of Israel's most accomplished and intelligent military leaders. He was known for slaying Goliath, but also for countless victories as a military leader. And David was also Israel's, historically, most beloved king. People love David. So when we look at David, he had a very productive life overall. But there were a couple seasons in his life where sloth kind of took over, and I want to kind of highlight those a little bit so we understand what sloth might look like in, in the Bible. One of David's famous or infamous stories is the story of uh, him and Bathsheba, where he had an affair and he killed the husband and did a lot of cover-ups. And so when we look at that story, we might immediately identify it as a story of, of lust or story of pride or fear. But the story starts off as a story of sloth. And, and the story starts off like this. In the time of year when kings went to war, David stayed back. Now, I love this verse for a few reasons. One is like, it was the time of year when kings go to war. Like, oh, it's like, it's the fall. Football season started. Let's, let's, all right, let's go to, let's go to war. Um, so there was a time of year where the king's like, all right, it's wartime. Let's go. Let's go do it. Obviously, it's weather-related and other stuff. In the time of year where kings went to war, David stayed back. Now, David, in that moment, had an obligation as a king, and he had an incredible ability as a military leader to go and lead his, his soldiers and his people in battle. But rather than living into that calling or living into that season for him, he stayed back. One of the Old Testament word pictures for sloth is, is, a, is a bow, uh, you know, bow and arrow. It's a bow where the string is unwound. It's basically, it's something that's built for a specific purpose that's no longer living into its purpose. Sloth can look like that. And that's what happened here with David. David was meant to be this great military leader. In the season where he was supposed to be out there, he stayed back. There's a famous saying, I actually don't know if it's in the Bible, but let's just, it's, it's in the biblical world, the Christian world. It's um, idle hands are the devil's workshop. And this is a classic example of that, where David stayed back. He, he gave himself too much time on his hand. He, he veered from his purpose. And then all of a sudden, he looked across the city, and he saw this beautiful woman. And so this action of sloth led to uh, an affair, an unwanted pregnancy, uh, fear of being caught, covering it up. Trying, to, trying a lot of different clever schemes and eventually just killing a guy in order to take Bathsheba as his wife. And it kind of, one of his greatest moments of shame started as a, a small moment of sloth. In the year, in the time of year when kings went to war, David stayed back. Now there's another part of David's story later on in his life that doesn't get as much airtime because it's not as easy to teach as David and Goliath, but it's the story where his kids kind of fell apart. Now David had a very messy, complicated family that's just what the Old Testament is. It's just complicated family dynamics. And in one of uh, these stories, David has a son, Amnon, who sexually assaults one of his daughters, Tamar. And it says that David knew about it. He knew that this event happened. He knew his daughter was, was raped. But he didn't do anything about it. He just checked out. He stayed back. Now, another one of his sons was Absalom, who loved his sister was very protective of Tamar. And Absalom, once he saw that David wasn't going to do anything about this sexual assault, he took matters into his own hands, and he killed Amnon. Now David was heartbroken. He got furious. He kicked Absalom. He banished him. He exiled him. He kicked him out of town for a while. But he still didn't, David still didn't pay attention to the, the wounding dynamic of the family. So Absalom is now in exile, just growing more and more bitter and resentful and angry, 
and he thinks, I can do a better job than my dad, David. And eventually he comes back. He begins to sow seeds of doubt and insurrection and eventually leads an unsuccessful revolt against David and David's leadership. And David's men end up killing Absalom. Uh, So he dies as well. And David is heartbroken over that. But David checked out of his family for a while. He he didn't pay attention to the wounding and the the crime of the assault against Tamar. And and it led to two, two of his sons being killed, a fractured family, and a lot of heartbreak. David, in that season, would be what you might call an absentee father. He was just emotionally checked out. He was slothful. He was inattentive. Now, one of David's other sons is Solomon. And Solomon wrote a lot of Proverbs, and he wrote this proverb that I want us to kind of hang our hats on this morning. Solomon said this, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. I love this imagery of, of a household that's just overgrown with, with, with weeds and with, with, with it's just decaying. Now, being back in Louisiana these past few weeks, my backyard has become a jungle, like overnight. One thing we know in the South with the humidity and the, the spread of weeds is like you have to be on it. The stuff just grows quickly, like almost overnight at times. But I love this imagery of a house that when you don't pay attention to it, it just kind of becomes overgrown. Um, and you can look at David's life in that season with his family where he wasn't attentive uh, to the pain of his, of his kids. And that pain began to just fester and eventually became overgrown and took over the household. David wasn't tending the garden of his family in that time. I'm curious how many of us know family members or we are family members. We've been in a family unit where there's something that wasn't dealt with, where we just didn't pay attention to it. We are intentionally not paying attention to it. And that thing just festered and grew into something far worse than it originally was. Sloth is refusing to pay attention to your life. And when we do that in our relationships, in our careers, in our health, the garden tends to become overgrown. We stop paying attention. We tend to think as sloth as laziness, but I think more accurately today, sloth looks like distraction. We constantly distract ourselves from the things that we don't want to face. Now, I have four small kids, and I can tell you, it's, it's a dozen times a day, maybe, my kids come to me and say, Dad, put down your phone and look at me. Pay attention to me. Be present with me. Listen to the story that I wrote. Uh, look at this picture that I drew. Look at this performance, dance performance, whatever. They're constantly kind of coming to me for this attention, and I'm on my phone distracted. And it's a, it's a constant battle for me to just be present with them, to put the phone away and be fully present, knowing that these years with them at this age, where they want to show me their pictures, go by fast. So sloth can just look like distraction. Another way it shows up for me uh, would be watching one extra episode of, of a Netflix show, so I stay up until midnight instead of 10, and then I don't wake up at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. in order to work out, and then the rest of my day is thrown off. So a lot of times when we try to have a diligent or scheduled or routine life, it can be disrupted by sloth. So for me, it can be staying up too late, which means I don't wake up in time to get my routine going and have a better day. Sloth can look like that. For some of us, it might just mean we we work all the time or we take on extra hobbies or side hustles or whatever, and we, we constantly stay busy so that we don't have to pay attention to the garden that's, that's overgrowing in our, in our lives. 
that's what sloth is, is the, the weeds that just spread out when we're not paying attention. So when Evagrius gave us the seven deadly sins, he always also gave us corresponding virtues. For example, when you have pride as the, as the vice, you have humility as the virtue, anger, patience, envy, kindness. For sloth, the course sloth is the vice, the corresponding virtue is diligence. Now, diligence just means to be intentional, to pay attention, to be disciplined, uh, to, to have your affairs in order. Um, one thing I want us to make sure we take away this morning is that I'm not saying that it means to add more to your plate because sloth often is busyness. So if you say, oh, to be diligent, just add more things to the plate so I can keep not paying attention. That's not what diligence is. Diligence is having a well-ordered life. And when you look at the, the, the Jewish rhythm of life in the, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they are very disciplined people with their prayers, with how they do uh, food and work. And, of course, they have this idea of Sabbath, a day of rest. And the purpose of the Sabbath is, is, is to give you this rest to restore your soul so you can kind of be prepared for the next, next week. And I would say that diligence and Sabbath go hand in hand. When we have our lives in order and we're disciplined and we pay attention, that gives us the space to truly take a rest. When you know you've been effective and organized and productive in the day, it gives you the space to take rest. So diligence and rest actually go hand in hand. Complete ignorance of responsibilities, that could be sloth. Complete overcommitment to responsibilities, that could be sloth. But diligence is having a well-ordered life so that when you rest, you can truly rest. It's not about doing more. It's about being intentional and paying attention. So I just want to close with a few questions. What parts of your life are overgrown with thistles? It might be a relationship. It might be a career. It might be health. What parts of your life are overgrown with thistles? What parts of your life are you ignoring? What, parts of, what conversations are you intentionally avoiding? What pains are you running away from but allowing them to fester? Have you been avoiding them, and if so, why? And then what would it look like for you to pay attention and take responsibility for that garden in your life? What would it look like to be intentional with that? I'm going to sing a song as just kind of a reflection, and I should give you guys time to, to think about that question. What's a garden in my life that's become overgrown because I'm not paying attention to it? And what might it look like to pay attention to it?